Mr. Moore, if you're prepared, please proceed. Yes, thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court. I'm R. Henry Moore. I represent both North Shore Mining, Matthew Zimmer, and Roger Peterson. Uh, I have asked to reserve five minutes for rebuttal, and I recognize, of course, that may get eroded as we go. Um, this case, uh, both sides have appealed. Um, it involves a conveyor gallery at the North Shore processing facility. What they process is taconite ore into iron ore pellets, which are a combination of the ore and bentonite. Uh, it's a big process. This is actually a very small part of that plant. It carries the pellets, the finished pellets, out of the pelletizer onto a story, into a storage bin before they're loaded on ships on the Lake Superior. A uh, uh, quick question. Any place in the record is there a picture of this or a diagram? A picture. There is a picture in the inspector's notes of his pictures of this whole conveyor gallery. Is, is, it, in our, is it in our record? I'm sorry. Is it yes, in our it record? Yes, it, it is in the record. Okay, what thank is, you. We'll try to find I, it. Go ahead. But I did want to say that there's no picture of the whole facility. <laughs> no, no, uh, no. I just was interested in where, the, where all this happened. Go ahead. Okay, and the inside of this conveyor gallery has two conveyors. Uh, they are not; they are parallel, but there's a six to eight foot walkway between them. And on the outer edges, there are two 30 inch walkways: the east walkway, which is the issue here, and the west walkway. Uh, the walkways. This is an older plant. Uh, the walkways were built years ago by. They erected the steel, of course. They put perlite panels. Perlite is sort of an aggregate. Um, it's lighter than concrete. They put perlite panels down for a form, just like we all use wood when we're laying concrete uh, out in our own world. And then they put concrete on top of it. Uh, what you could see from the bottom is the perlite. You could not see the concrete. Uh, there are no pictures in this record, Your Honor, of the actual inside of the conveyor gallery. Um, what happened, well, to give you a little bit of the history of this, back in 2014, one of the supervisors at North Shore had a concern about, he thought the center wall, walkway looked odd. So he referred it to engineering. Um, he didn't refer it as a safety complaint. Otherwise, he would have referred it to the safety department. Council, is it, is it accurate to say that the perlite had been deteriorating already for several years, uh, as, as, as far back as 2009? Uh, yes. Now, the interesting thing about that, Your Honor, if I may, while the perlite's deteriorating, and as Mr. Francine said, he didn't expect it to last as long as it did because it is only a form. Um, you couldn't look up and see holes through the perlite through the concrete. Um, you could only see the perlite and some of the reinforcement for the um, perlite. You could not see any of the reinforcement for the concrete. The company, after the issue was raised, when the engineering department went out, he then, Mr. Scamhorn, asked for Creck Urjard, which is an engineering consulting firm, to come out and take a look at it. They took a look at it. They didn't do any testing or anything. And since there were previously 
um, installed steel plates in the center walkway, which is the principal walkway through this area. He just calculated its strength based on the steel, not the concrete. He didn't do any testing. He didn't, there weren't plates out on the outer walkways. And so he just did it visually. What happened, he issued a report in 2015, which is obviously a major issue in this case, where he said the heavy equipment on the center walkway should be prohibited and um, access to the outer walkway should be restricted. Difference in language. Was it also, uh, did he also make a recommendation for replacement? Uh, he didn't recommend how it would be replaced. Um, he did say that at some point it should be replaced. What happened is when they got the report, they now, said, Council, well, what do you Council, mean? Was it, was it at some point? That was it. Was that the language? Well, he said before full access. You should restrict okay. access until it's replaced. And Restricted, did, right? Restricted, restricted as, a, as opposed yeah, to prohibited. Yeah. No. We're all familiar with restricted access. I assume I could walk around your courthouse and see electrical uh, boxes as well as rooms and that are restricted access. What they did when they, they called him and they said, well, what do you mean by this? And they talked about it and they came up with the conclusion that they could permit access using fall protection. Fall protection is pretty standard in the industry. Um, so that's what they did. And in September of 2016, uh, they wanted to clean the outer walkways. Now, so we all understand the cleaning is normally done from the middle walkway, but you use a hose. And one of the things that does is that pushes pellets over to the outer walkway. And they decided they needed to clean the outer walkway. So they assigned three people from a contractor and before they went out there, they said, you know, you have to wear fall protection. And one of the North Shore employees went out with them and showed them how they could use fall protection. And essentially what you do, you attach to one structural steel member and then walk down the walkway and attach to another one and release your lanyard. And recognizing these are also fall protection that is retractable. So once there's a pressure on it, it stops. It's a little bit different than just a, a piece of rope or, or a piece of steel cable that will stop you after six feet. So I, what, I, I, does, I, what does the record show was the, the response to the report that basically says this needs to be replaced, it's not structurally sound? Uh, it, uh, what, and, but it, it sounds like things just kept going and well, it got dirty, and so let's clean it. But what's what's taking place to indicate there's an effort to remedy the uh, apparently dangerous condition? Well, the I, I'm not sure. Well, we we can argue about whether it's actually dangerous, but uh, well, it was what, it was reviewed, no, I think the report used the phrase uh, "not structurally sound." Is that that's what uh, seen, which but, which meant nobody's supposed to be on it. Basically. Well, he said restrict access and that he didn't mean nobody is supposed to be on it. But it says not safe for personnel to be using until a repair has been completed. That's what it According. says. But, but he said restrict as opposed to prohibit. If he wanted to prohibit, he would have said prohibit. That's the difference. And recognize that this is a major to replace this walkway. 
is a major capital project. And to do a major capital project, recognizing also in between 2015 and 2016, there was the plant was idled for about six months. Um, the pellet market wasn't good. And so that sounds like a perfect pellet. time to do the repair. Um, it's not the perfect time to spend significant money if you're not sure if the, the plant's going to continue to operate after the, the idling. That's that's yes. You could say that, but the problem is you don't know whether after the idling they were going to come back. Uh, the pellet market is very subject to <laughs> a lot of ups and downs. Uh, uh, for those of you who know case law, this is an old facility that goes back to Cyprus back in the 1970s where I read the environmental case in law school. And this is the same facility, and but that was an environmental case. So what they did is, in the meantime, before that, while they could decide when to do this, um, they decided to use. Recognize that this walkway isn't used very often. There are two reasons to use it. One is to clean it, and the second is to climb over the conveyor when it's locked out to install an idler roller. Well, on, in September, when these employee, contractor employees were cleaning it, there was a steel failure. Now, this steel failure, there's really no dispute. Well, perhaps Mr. Superfesky disputes it. But what happened was there was a prior damage to one of the steel tr trusses back in 1994, probably. And that truss was overloaded during the cleaning process. And all you need to do is look at the pictures and their pellets piled up and pellets are heavier than uh, a lot of different materials. They cover about, they um, weigh about 130 pounds per square inch or spare, square foot. And that truss failed. And in the truss failing, it caused the walkway um, the support, the outer supports for the walkway, which were clip angles, to bend outward and cause the walkway to twist, and it caused it to break. Um, obviously, the issue is whether or not um, we, you know, what 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 role did the walkway play in this? Well. One of our experts, Mr. Osmondson, said it very clearly. Concrete is not support for the structure. It is simply a load on the structure. The steel supports the structure. And I think Mr. Francine explained what happened pretty succinctly. Uh, and you can look at it from the evidence. So the question is, and I will address the whole issue of a flagrant violation, uh, first, and then the, the individual penalties. And if you have questions about others, that's fine. The question is, is whether or not this was a flagrant violation. The ALJ said that it was not because it was not reckless in the sense of flagrant. And the commission said it was not reckless in the sense of flagrant. And it also didn't make, meet the gravity test because they said the only hazard here that was actually proven was falling on the walkway. 
and they didn't think uh, that meant uh, Mr. Moore, uh, one of the, the dispute here in the flagrant, as I understand it, is, is, is just what you've highlighted. Is there a different type of recklessness for flagrant than in the other violations? And and I have a question about that. Why why would there be a different definition in in this um, system for reckless? There, it's not a different word. It's the same word. When it seems like under flagrant, what makes it a more serious violation is the failure to respond to a known violation. In other words, I think the parties talk about the history of the bad actor, trying to get at the folks who know about these violations and either recklessly or repeatedly fail to do anything about it. Now, why, why, why shift the change between a regular violation flagrant um, reckless and not the other factors? Well, well, the other factors also are heightened because of the difference between uh, flagrant gravity and significant substantial under the act. But the, the whole history of that act, it was promulgated in 2006. Uh, Congress wanted to get the bad actors. Uh, the initial top penalty was $220,000, which was only 30000 less than the criminal penalty. And it now because of the Civil Penalty Adjustment Act, actually exceeds the criminal penalty. Um, so it, it's a very heightened violation. And the reckless um, comment, the commission looked at the only other use of reckless in the um, statute prior to 2006, it wasn't used. They put it in in Section 110 and they also put it in in a provision with respect to mine rescue teams. Um, they looked at that and they said, well, yeah, it's more. Now, I will say that even if you accepted MSHA's definition in their regulations of reckless disregard, they say it's reckless as long as there's absolutely no mitigating factors. Well, we have mitigating factors here. Well, what about what about the, what about the commission's reference to sort of we look to the common law? They seem to look to the restatement, and the restatement seems to include both conscious disregard and an indifference, which I think is what the secretary is getting at. So why cut out the indifference to aspect of the definition of reckless here? What, what, where, where do I get that? Where, well, why do we go there? I think we have to be careful applying the restatement to statutory provisions where the Congress wrote a statute that really exceeded any other sanction in the act. All right, and all right. So let me go with you there for a minute then. If if you don't go to the restatement, where where do you go? You're saying what Congress did in this statute and said reckless or repeated failure. So tell me where to go to find the definition that you're looking for or are asserting is the proper one. Well, that's the problem is finding that. But I would say that it is something more than a reckless in the restatement. It's something more than a reckless that MSHA has in its own regulations for reckless disregard for 
the stamp what from, penalty calculus. What from, what from Congress, Mr. Moore, what from, Mr. Co what from Congress tells us that, that the reckless is different there? I think the nature of the uh, whole sanction, particularly the different language and also the amount of the penalty. The amount of the penalty is quite striking, Your Honor. Um, I remember when the, I saw the first flagrant penalty when I was talking to a client and what that client who processed their civil penalties said is not actually repeatable um, because she was just astonished how high it was. It's very, very high. Um, and so that suggests that or indicates that Congress was looking at something more serious. Um, and the fact that they wrote the other parts of, rec of um, flagrant, the reasonable expectation of a substantial bodily injury, that go that that's heightened above what they previously looked at when they had significant substantial. Mr. Moore, you're well within your rebuttal time. You can continue if you like, or you can reserve. Uh, let me go ahead and reserve, if I may. All right. I don't see any additional questions. Thank you. Ms. Mullins? Good morning. May it please the court. My name is Rebecca Mullins. We're here because IMSHA proposed a flagrant penalty against North Shore for recklessly failing to maintain an elevated walkway, despite knowing for years that the walkway was in disrepair. This hefty flagrant penalty designation originated in 2006 with the passage of the Miner Act. Congress passed the Miner Act in response to a series of mining tragedies that left 19 men dead in order to incentivize operators to proactively correct known violations. Operators like North Shore, who equipped with a third-party engineering report that detailed an unsafe walkway that was unsuitable for use absent repairs, made no repairs, and instead continued sending miners onto the crumbling walkway for over a year until, predictably, the walkway collapsed. The flagrant definition we're talking about is found at Section 110B. And it defines flagrant as a reckless or repeated failure to make reasonable efforts to eliminate a known violation of a mandatory safety standard that substantively and proximately caused or reasonably could have been expected to cause death or serious bodily injury. The ALJ in this case found that the secretary proved each portion of flagrant um, except for the reckless portion, reasoning that recklessness in a flagrant context required some sort of heightened recklessness. The commission agreed with the ALJ and found that in order to establish a reckless flagrant violation, the secretary must prove a conscious or deliberate disregard that an operator consciously or deliberately disregarded an expectation of death or serious injury. Counsel, could, could um, the ALJ have taken into account some of the, uh, I guess you might consider it a, a form of mitigation of trying to have the workers secure themselves, uh, that it, it wasn't where they didn't think there was some concern for their safety. Uh, so they were trying to teach them, you know, you need to do this while you're out there, um, uh, that that wouldn't, that there would be something higher than that. Uh, and that would be the, 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 the flagrant disregard as opposed to uh, just a, a non-flagrant disregard. 
Yes, Your Honor, the judge did rely on um, this fall protection policy as, I guess, mitigation in the reckless flagrant context, although she did not rely on it when evaluating whether this violation was the result of reckless disregard. Um, she did that because she reasoned that the flagrant analysis requires some sort of heightened recklessness. Uh, but the, the statute, the flagrant definition doesn't account for a failure to eliminate the hazard. It's a failure to eliminate the violation. And as the commission uh, affirmed, as supported by substantial evidence, fall protection did nothing to eliminate the violation, which was an unsafe walkway that was crumbling and in disrepair. And further, as the ALJ found, um, fall protection wasn't even used at all times. Minors were on the walkway without fall protection, and MSHA had witnesses who testified that even with fall protection, this is intended to be a secondary means of protection. And so you can still sustain serious injuries while wearing fall protection. If you were to fall 50 feet from this elevated walkway, fall protection may save your life and prevent you from hitting the ground below. But it's if you could still, a minor could still suffer serious injuries from the risk, I mean, the, um, the force of the fall being caught by the uh, fall protection or being impaled by crumbling pieces of walkway. So the fall protection here did nothing to eliminate the violation, and it should not have been considered in the context of reckless oh, flagrant. Now, is, is nothing too strong, counsel? Surely it did something. Your Honor, nothing to eliminate the violation, whether it may have targeted the underlying hazard. I, I, think, that's, I think that's circular. Go ahead with your argument. Now, now I get your whole sentence. Go ahead. It's circular. Not a violation. Go ahead. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, but the judge should have just applied recklessness as um, it's understood in common law, which is that the operator knew of the facts but failed to appreciate the high degree of harm, although a reasonable person in their position would have done so. Here, North Shore was equipped with an engineering report that deemed this walkway. Council, were you relying on the restatement there? Yes, Your Honor. Okay, proceed. Thank you. North Shore was equipped with an engineering report that detailed that these walkways were unsafe to use absent repairs. And there is no evidence at all in the record that North Shore did anything to repair the walkway. Um, the report said that the both layers, not only the perlite, but also the um, concrete topping provided little to no structural support. They could not um, be safe for use until a repair had been completed. They detailed many types of damage, despalling and delaminated concrete, debonded reinforcement, but also in the topping layer, they noted that the topping slab was in poor condition and in need of replacement due to large surface cracking and heaving. And so taking that information, a reasonable person would have appreciated the high degree of risk involved and would not have instructed miners to work on this walkway until repairs had been completed. The commission seemed to grapple with the idea that flagrant should require something more. There's a high penalty. This should be something bigger. But the commission's error was in the conclusion that the something more is heightened recklessness. What, what deference is owed uh, to the commission's responsibility for crafting um, its orders and, and uh, the results it reaches and its interpretation uh, of the regulations it's enforcing? Here, Your Honor, um, 
the language of the statute is not ambiguous. And so Congress intent is what should control this analysis. They chose the word reckless rather than conscious, deliberate, intentional. If Congress had intended for something beyond recklessness to be what was required, they could have used a word to indicate such. And if they had intended... Well, they used the word flagrant, right? I mean, is, is, is that... I mean, there's got to be a difference between reckless and flagrantly reckless the way this seems to be as, uh, established. Your Honor, I think in defining flagrant, they chose the word reckless because that high level of negligence is all the secretary has to establish. The thing that makes flagrant well, what, how, how do you, what distinguishes something from being reckless and being flagrantly so? Your Honor, flagrant would also require the secretary to establish that an operator knew that the violation existed and failed to make reasonable efforts to eliminate. So the distinguishing factor isn't exceptional recklessness or heightened recklessness, the distinguishing factor comes in requiring the secretary to show that the operator had knowledge of a violation and failed to take reasonable efforts to eliminate the violation. Here, the commission- Counsel, would you, would you, would you agree that there are different definitions of reckless that sort of seems to be um, the restatement and different parts of the restatement sort of emphasize conscious or deliberate or indifferent? So why why isn't it make sense for the commission to just to pick a portion of the restatement that requires the conscious disregard in light of the bad actor goal? Yes, Your Honor, I, I believe the commission's um, interpretation essentially eliminated negligence. So recklessness, regardless of Regardless of the definition, indifference, lack of care, uh, failure to appreciate, they all include what a reasonable person would have done in the circumstances. Here, the commission required conscious or deliberate expectation of but, harm. But, but, but that's a part of, that That can be a part of a reckless definition, can't it? Conscious disregard? In terms of the reckless disregard finding, um, no, no, I'm sorry. Just in trying to figure out what reckless means under the flagrant violation section, there seems to be, at least in my understanding of the restatement and the common law, the different definitions that the commission was pulling in to look at. It seems like conscious disregard is is in that mix. Your Honor, I agree. I think the commission here clearly stated that they wanted this to be something beyond recklessness. And so the secretary's point is, if it were supposed to be heightened recklessness, more than recklessness, Congress could have chosen a word to indicate that. They chose the word recklessness, which seems to account for what a reasonable person would have done in this situation. Here, the company was presented with an engineering report that said in no uncertain terms that it's not well, structurally adequate for use. I was and waiting to after you said it about the third time, but every time you say reasonable person, I think, well, that's plain old negligence. And, and often in state law and under the restatement, reckless is something more than that. Uh, now, let's don't pursue that. Let's pursue Judge Kelly's line. Uh, 
why, why, now, now, who are we, I'm sorry, I'm going to change on you here. Uh, I don't know you answered uh, Chief Judge Smith's question, at least I didn't understand it. As you know, where he's worried about Chevron deference. Do we do that to the secretary? Do we do that to the commission? Do we not give deference to anybody in this circumstance? Do you not have any law on who we give deference to in these kind of fairly rare cases? I think we've had two. Go ahead. Yes, Your Honor. So my answer was that we feel it's unambiguous. If the court finds that it is ambiguous, we would say deference to the secretary's interpretation. And this court in Pattinson Sand has also recognized deference to the secretary's litigation position before the commission. Well, I didn't get to my other question that I deserted on you. I'm going to undesert it now. And, and so let me ask you this. Uh, this is in regard to what Judge Kelly was pursuing. Uh, conscious disregard is certainly in a lot of laws as being reckless. Uh, it's, it's in a lot of laws and it's in the restatement. So, so it seems to me, why isn't it within the commission's realm of, of deciding cases to say, well, for this purpose, we're going to use this definition reference. For another purpose, we're going to use that definition. Isn't that what courts do all the time? Yes, Your Honor. One thing that I haven't, that I think may help to answer more clearly, um, the commission also required and conscious or deliberate expectation of harm. And so part of recklessness is not intending the resultant harm. That's, you know, that takes it almost into a level of criminal. And so even if you were to apply conscious or disregard as the words, it would be a conscious or dis conscious or deliberate uh, failure to eliminate the violation, not conscious or deliberate expectation of harm. So the secretary should not have to establish that North Shore, by failing to repair the walkway, was intending to harm minors. Rather, the language of the statute is a reckless failure to make reasonable efforts to eliminate. And so a conscious, even if you were to accept the commission's use of conscious or deliberate, a conscious or deliberate failure to make reasonable efforts to eliminate, rather than a conscious or deliberate expectation of the resultant harm. And in this case, North Shore was provided with an engineering report, in addition to having received complaints as early as 2013, um, I believe Mr. Moore agreed that the perlite layer was crumbling on the outer walkway as early as 2009. And so in addition to those uh, work orders that notified them of the walkway's condition, they had a report in 2015 that said they were not you know, structurally adequate for use and should not be used absent repair, not safe for personnel to be using absent repair, I believe is the exact language. And so a conscious or deliberate failure to make efforts to eliminate the violation, uh, if you were to adopt the commission's language, would be more appropriate than an expectation of the resultant harm. Because as Commissioner Trainer pointed out in his dissent, reckless disregard is unintentional but highly negligent, you intend the act. You don't intend necessarily have to prove intent with the resultant harm to the minors. Um, there was another component of the flagrant definition that the commission reviewed that the judge had previously found the secretary established. That is in the reasonably could have been expected to cause death or serious injury. 
as the commission noted um, at the time that Congress passed the Minor Act in 2006, the imminent danger definition was already part of the act and it is functionally identical to the language that Congress put into the flagrant definition. And so uh, the commission has interpreted and has recognized that Congress did not intend for the imminent danger language, which is reasonably could have been expected to cause death or uh, physical physical harm. Um, here it's reasonably could have been expected to cause death or serious bodily injury. And uh, that Congress didn't expect that to require a specific percentage of probability. And the commission has interpreted that even showing a reasonable uh, potential for harm can satisfy the imminent danger context. And so the secretary believes the commission erred here in requiring the secretary to show first an expectation of a hazard and then second, an expectation that that hazard would result in a serious injury uh, and instead should have just adopted the imminent danger test, which is a reasonable possibility. The substantial evidence supports the judge's finding on that prong. There was uh, evidence from the secretary's witness that the walkway, um, if it had been maintained in good condition, that it would not have collapsed as it did, even when the beam failed. There's a third-party engineering report that details all of the issues with the walkway, determining that it's not structurally adequate for use. Uh, there was testimony in the record that miners who were North Shore employees, unlike uh, the miner who was on the walkway when it failed, who was a contract employee, but actual North Shore employees were scared to use the walkway because they knew it was in disrepair. Prior to the walkway's collapse, uh, North Shore had to install a mesh underneath to prevent perlite pieces from crumbling and falling on miners who were walking underneath. And so, um, that substantial evidence supports the judge's determination that um, it was reasonably a reasonable potential of a reasonably serious injury. And counsel, uh, in your remaining time, would you address your appeal as to the conclusions on the individual liability? Yes, Your Honor. So Section 110C authorizes the secretary uh, to pursue individual liability against an agent who knowingly orders, authors, or carries out a violation. The administrative law judge found that these two members of management, Mr. Zimmer and Peterson, did knowingly order, authorize, or carry out a violation. The commission applied a different and, uh, we argue, incorrect legal test in reversing the judge on that point. They you they looked to uh, a prior case of theirs, Maple Creek, to say that these members of management could not be held liable because they did not themselves have the ability to initiate extensive repairs, that that repairing the walkway was going to cost $300,000 and that to do that was really a decision of the engineering department. Uh, first of all, the statute says knowingly ordered, authorized, or carried out. These members of management authorized and carried out when they participated with a member of the engineering department, Mr. Skamehorn. Council, now you, you added the word participated. Uh, authorized the violation? Now, you're not relying on authorized, are you? Authorized and carried out. Carried out, I think, is also... No, I know, no, no. Go slowly with me. Just, just, it says or. I'm doing one at a time. Now, on, on authorized. Knowingly authorized the violation. Are yes, you continuing? Your Honor, I, yes, Your Honor. I, I believe that their participation in the conversation with Mr. Skamehorn, where they collectively decided not to repair the walkway, but instead to implement fall protection would 
constitute authorizing the violation. Okay, so you think that's a level of authority. Now, now carried out, you think they knowingly carried out the violation? Yes, Your Honor. Okay, now what's wrong with the commission's general line of cases that you gotta be in a position to repair it? That's the violation here. Well, in Maple Creek, the commission- Don't go to Maple Creek, uh, help me with in a position to repair, just those words. Your Honor, I, not remedy the violation, but repair the, or eliminate the hazard is what the Maple Creek court said. And here these men could have eliminated the hazard. The hazard was, was minors working on an unsafe walkway. Both of these members of management testified that they had authority over the workforce and they could have prevented minors from working on the walkway. So perhaps they could not have themselves undergone the necessary well, the, paperwork to get a cor correct my understanding of the facts they there had been a severe limitation of access to that and the injury occurred when they were sent someone out to to clean the area as opposed to using it for normal mining uh, purposes it, it wasn't hadn't it already been uh, restricted uh, prior to the accident I don't know that, I think it was a walkway that was not very often in use even before this report. So I don't know that they limited any further the frequency of use on the outer walkway. Um, but there was still evidence in the record that miners use the walkway for cleaning and for maintenance. So use did con continue for roughly did, a year. To conclude that someone uh, in a supervisor position is able to uh, remedy the the problem. What level of what what's the proof that needs to to be shown that they actually had the power to get the funds or acquire the funds to make the uh, repairs? Does that have to be something within their sphere of authority, or do they just need to be able to establish that they made the appropriate recommendations? Based on the language of the statute we would say as long as the an agent knowingly which has been interpreted to mean in a position to protect employee safety and health and fail to act on that information if they knowingly authorized ordered or carried out that would be sufficient to establish liability regardless of whether they themselves could remedy the violation I see that I'm out of time. If the court would permit me to make one final point, I would just say that when you look at this through the backdrop of why the Minor Act was passed in response to a series of tragedies that resulted in 19 deaths, um, certainly it seems Congress wanted to incentivize minors to, I mean, operators to repair violations when they knew of them in order to protect minors. And uh, in this case, they had a third party engineering report and it begs the question that if this is not flagrant, what would be. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Ms. Mullins. Mr. Moore, your rebuttal. Okay, thank you very much. First of all, let me comment on a couple assertions of fact. Um, when the walkway was uh, demolished, it clearly wasn't in crumbling form. It came out in 16 foot lengths at times, and they needed a jackhammer to take it apart. Um, second, um, if we're talking about a fall, we're not talking about a fall of 50 feet. The lanyards they were wearing wouldn't have permitted that. 
And in fact, what was shown by the event that occurred is you weren't falling anywhere. Uh, if I guess if Mr. King hadn't been wearing fall protection, he might have fallen down on top of the walkway and steel that was still there. Um, but I and I also comment that I, I judge Kelly that my feeling is if you use conscious disregard, there wasn't a conscious disregard here. They took steps. Now, you're saying, well, you know, the solicitor's saying, well, you need to repair it. Well, that is not something that happens instantaneously. And frankly, if they wanted to repair it, they still have to clean it to get all the pellets out of there. Um, to comment, I'd like to comment on the deference issue. Um, <laughs> Deference obviously is changing, but it's interesting if we all go back to Chevron, the interpretation there. Uh, before you do that, counsel, in Patterson, did we say we looked to the secretary, not to the commission? Yes, you did. Okay, thank you. And that's the, the other circuits have said that too. Well, thank now, you for the that. Question is, that. Is, the question is whether or not any sort of deference is appropriate here. I think the language is plain, uh, but. What we don't have is any kind of, what we had in Chevron was a promulgated rule that interpreted the statute. We have nothing like that here. The closest we came is back, I think in 2008, they put out a policy document, which they removed, which they withdrew. We don't have anything like that. And I'm a little reluctant for the court to take the position well, we'll, we'll defer to the litigating position, um, particularly when the litigating position includes an assertion that fall protection is unsafe. We know that fall protection is a standard form of protection. And Mr. Superfesky's arguing that it was unsafe is contrary to the secretary's own rules. It's contrary to OSHA's rules. And it's contrary, I looked at the, um, Secretary's website yesterday. Last year, they issued 112 violations for 56.15.005, which is the fall protection standard. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the- Council, you're, you're out of time. Do you have okay. just- um, so. Well, I've, I've addressed the individual cases in the brief. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Ms. Mullins. Thank you, Mr. More, we appreciate council's participation and argument this morning, and uh, we'll continue to uh, review the record and uh, do the best we can with a prudent decision. Thank you. Thank council you. may be excused. Madam Clerk, I believe that uh, concludes